Hello and welcome to Stories from My Journey podcast. I'm Wendy Farha. I'm a believer and have been for more than 40 years. Does that mean I'm really old? As I look back, there are situations in my life where God has shown up, made himself real to me, and taught me many important things in the midst of difficulties. I've created this podcast in hopes that my stories will edify, encourage, and inspire you to seek a deeper relationship with him. There will always be some laughs along with those stories, as well as many of the songs I've written. So follow along with me as I share my journey with you. Hey guys, good to have you back with me. I wanted to talk today about forgiveness and something that happened to me in 1988. I was taking part in an outreach called Operation Nineveh. It was in Montreal and the idea was that we had teaching in the morning and then we went out in the afternoon and we shared our faith in the parks and on the streets and it was part of YWAM which I've mentioned in another episode, Youth with a Mission. So Youth with a Mission really focuses on knowing God and making him known. The idea is that you know God for yourself and then you share him with others. So the focus is on knowing the character of God, not just spouting Bible verses and head knowledge, but really, really knowing him. Well, we'd been having some teachings and going out in the afternoons and I loved the outreach part of it. When I became a Christian in 1978, I always felt I had the gift of evangelism. I was always sharing my faith with others. So this particular day, I was kind of wrestling with something. And you wouldn't think I'd be wrestling with this when I was eager to go out and share the good news with people of the Lord Jesus. But I was becoming aware of a battle in my heart. I wasn't sure if God existed, which is pretty strange when you've signed up to do missions and evangelism. And it was really bothering me, so I went to the head of Operation Nineveh, which uh, his name was Pierre Labelle. He was a director of Youth with a Mission in Montreal for many, many years. I said, Pierre, I'm just really wrestling with whether or not I believe in God. And he said, well, why don't you stay back today? And instead of going out with the others, just stay back. And Claude and I will sit with you and we'll have a chat. So I thought, oh, that's great. So in my head... I was kind of thinking, okay, he's going to come with some theological ideas and use some apologetics. I don't know if all of you are familiar with the term apologetics. It's not apologizing. It's um, presenting the defense of the Christian faith. People who are skilled in apologetics can answer all kinds of protests and objections to the Bible and to Jesus, and and they just know where all the verses are. So I thought Pierre is going to really ace this. He's going to pull out the theological reasons why I should believe in God. So after lunch, Pierre and Claude and I sat down and I'm ready. I'm ready to put on my thinking cap. And Pierre just looked at me and and said, so Wendy, what's your relationship with your father? I was like, what? Uh, Say what? And I said, it's pretty bad. Now my dad and I had never had a good relationship up to that point. My parents married when they were 40 and 41 respectively. My dad was 40. My mom was 41. My dad turned to my mom a year after they were married and said, 
so what about a baby? And she's like, a baby? You'd think they would have discussed this before they got married, but no, she assumed they would never have. And I guess he was thinking they might. They got pregnant with me and um, I was born when my mom was 43 and my dad was 42. But their marriage was never really great. Having a baby didn't fix it, obviously. I just remember growing up with the most incredible tension in the house. It was never a happy place, ever. And I know that's the case for many of us. We grew up with all kinds of trauma and fighting and strife. My parents never yelled at each other. There was just this deathly silence. You could cut it with a knife. When we were in my, our first home, my mother and father had separate beds. And then when we moved when I was eight until they separated when I was 17, they had separate rooms. So my dad had his room upstairs. My mom had her room across the hall upstairs. And then I was on the main floor in my room. And I'm an only child because they couldn't have... I mean, my dad said, oh, this is amazing. She's so perfect. And my mom said, yeah, we're not doing that again. And back then, I mean, to have a kid at 43, that was just unheard of. You know, people were marrying at 18. But there was never a sense of family. And I just realized recently that my first memory of Christmas was when I was 30. I don't remember a single Christmas in our house. We had them, but I don't remember. I don't remember a single family meal that we had until I was 17. And that's the only one I remember. We had a friend over, my friend Doreen. That's the only time I remember sitting and eating with my parents. I don't remember a single conversation I had with my mother, except when I was seven, we were walking somewhere and I said, why can't dad move out? So it could be, just be you and I. Because at this point, my dad was an angry camper. The marriage was causing a lot of stress. My dad was doing a job that he did not like. He had never found a job he liked. He grew up in the Depression. My dad was born in 1917. So by the time he was in his teens, the Depression, the dirty 30s were starting. It started in 1929. He wanted to be a doctor and there was just no way. So he worked in a five and 10 store. Then he went off to World War II and he never found a job he liked. So for a man, that was really, really hard. He never found his identity in his work. And that created a lot of stress. And I just remember he would come home and he would be angry. And I remember him telling my mom on his way home, like he might be in a good mood at work, maybe not a great mood, but you know, an average mood. And then halfway home, he would just get angry. And that's the kind of atmosphere we had in our home. So I remember blaming him for the problems because he was angry and stern. And for a little girl, and I was artistic, so very sensitive. He was a disciplinarian when I did things wrong. I don't remember my mother ever spanking me, but he used a belt once on me and that was traumatic. And so I just did not like him. I can even say I hated him. And my mother was my, my hero. So here's Pierre asking, what's your relationship like with your father? Well, my dad decided when I was 17 that he just couldn't do the marriage anymore. And so they separated. And so now this is 11 years later. And I'm thinking, I just have a hard time talking to him. We go out for lunch once a week because I have to. But basically, no really strong relationship. And I asked Pierre, what does this have to do with anything? And he said, well, 
You know, God has arranged things so that our fathers are often the picture that we have of God. If our fathers are kind and generous and loving, they, they're this positive role model in our lives, then often that's the interpretation we have of God. And if our fathers are stern and angry and punitive, that could be the impression we get of God. Now, of course, you can get a revelation when you come to Christ that God is not like your father, if your father was a negative image. But for some of us, that's the image that's stuck in our heads. And I could relate to Jesus, but God, hmm, I don't know. Was he fair? Was he kind? Was he just? Was he approachable? Was he loving? You see, I didn't get any of that from that sense from my dad. So as we talked, Pierre said, you need to forgive your dad. And I was like, yeah. And he said, really, you need to forgive your dad. <laughs> and then he said, and you need to ask God for forgiveness. I said, what? He said, for hating your dad or for having ill feelings toward your dad. I said, but that's normal. I said, when someone is like that, when you're a child, it's just normal. It's just human. And he said, yeah, that's the problem. He said, the reactions we have are human. You see, Jesus would have never reacted that way. And our aim is to be like Jesus. And our aim is to respond in a way that's Christ-like. And when we see ourselves falling short, that's called sin. And then we come to the Savior and we ask him to cleanse us of our sin and to transform us more and more into his image. And that's the idea of forgiveness. Well, I can tell you, I did not like that idea. But Claude and Pierre had taken time to be with me, and I figured I owed it to them to try. <laughs> Pierre said, all right, well, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give the floor over to you, and then you can pray. You can forgive your dad, and you can ask God for forgiveness. So he started to pray. Lord, I pray for Wendy, and I pray that as she forgives her dad, whatever. And as he was praying, now I've never had this experience since, and I certainly had never had it before. I had my eyes closed. And if I can describe it, it was like on the inside of my forehead. <laughs> you know those signs that you see, the commercial signs where the red letters are scrolling from right to left? It was like there was this big neon sign on the inside of my forehead, like I could see it projected on, on my brain or whatever. And these big red letters were scrolling from right to left. I won't. I won't. Wow. When I saw that, I thought, oh boy, I'm in trouble. Because I knew enough about the Lord at that point. I'd been saved 10 years. I knew enough about the Lord at, at that point that when he challenges you to move ahead, and when he challenges you to go higher, when he tells you to do something, if you don't do it, then you're stuck. Like you're stuck in your disobedience. When he wants you to do something and he tells you to do it, there's only two choices. You disobey or you obey. And disobedience brings a block in your life, in your spiritual life. And I knew that. So I thought, well, that's it. I'm stuck. When Pierre finishes praying and hands it over to me, there's just no way. I didn't even want to forgive my father. There was such an anger and a resentment and even a hatred against him. 
I just thought, I can't. And, I, you know, like what I'd seen on this neon sign in my head, I won't. So Pierre finished praying. And then he said, okay, Wendy. He's, he still had his eyes closed and Claude had his eyes closed. He said, okay, it's your turn. And I hesitated. And then I thought, well, I might as well be honest. So I said, Pierre, when you were praying, I saw these words in my head, like I won't. And at that point, I thought, I guess Pierre's just going to wrap up the session and say, well, go in your way. You're on your own. But instead, he said, okay, let me pray for you that the that block will be removed. So he started to pray. He said, Lord, lift this block and remove this block in Wendy's life so that she's able to pray. And whatever he said, as he was praying, it lifted. It just lifted. Whatever was on me, that resistance, that anger, whatever, it just lifted off. I'm being honest with you. I could not wait for him to finish praying so that I could pray. And when he finished, I said, okay, my turn. (laughs) And I prayed. I asked God to forgive my dad. I forgave my dad. And then I asked forgiveness for resenting and for hating him because it's sin. Yes, it's a normal human reaction, but that's the problem. You know how wars start. One country offends another, and then the other retaliates. How do families split up? One family member gets angry at the other, the other one retaliates, and then you have a division, and people take sides. And even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, so many stories of divisions. Cain and Abel, Isaac and Jacob, and Joseph and his brothers. Division, division, division. And Absalom turning against his father David. Even in the New Testament, you know, there were divisions. Those are the things that split churches and families and couples. It's the inability to forgive. It's the unwillingness to forgive. And I'm not saying we can't have boundaries, because sometimes the actions of others, we need to have boundaries. Forgiveness is not becoming a doormat. But what Pierre had explained back then was that in order to forgive people, sometimes we have to see them as a victim. And my dad grew up in the 20s and the 30s, and his dad ran a pool hall and was at the pool hall from early morning to late at night. There were six children. My dad was number five. My grandmother, who was from Syria, never learned English, never became fluent. You know, not even fluent, just couldn't say even a few words in English. And she was always angry at the kids because they were always creating havoc, as kids do in a small apartment, I think it was three bedrooms, for eight people. I just thought my dad didn't have an example of good parenting, like many of our parents. They didn't have a loving father. They didn't have a loving mother. Times were hard. Money was tight. He didn't know how to be a father. But if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here, not only because he's my physical dad, but because it was his idea to have a baby. My mother had no intentions of having a baby. The process of forgiveness is mercy, looking kindly on others and trying to see from their perspective. Now, some people, you know, if we could put it bluntly, they don't deserve forgiveness. Maybe they've done heinous things. Maybe they are completely unrepentant. And we think that they don't even deserve my forgiveness. But of course, you've probably heard this. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Forgiveness is for us. And from the moment that I forgave my dad, it was not overnight because I was 28 then. And I think 
we began getting close when I was in my mid-30s, I would say. Maybe seven, eight years later. But by the time he died in 2005, I can honestly say he was my best friend. Now, he mellowed a lot after he retired. He was retired, I think, 25 years. He was just really a different person once he got out of the workforce and he began doing things that he enjoyed. So then he became a much easier man to love. He wasn't angry anymore. And he grieved a lot over the marriage. Both of my parents did. And as I forgave him, I saw this completely different person emerging. And we would laugh at jokes, and he was so kind. It was just wrenching for me when he died. But I remember just how faithful God was to help me forgive that could have been a wasted relationship. And you know, the funny thing is that I had been a Christian from 1978 to 1988 before the Lord started working on my life about forgiving my dad. Do you know for those 10 years from 78 to 88, I was never convicted about the feelings I had for my dad. It's really interesting. And I think that's a testimony of how God works in our lives in very different ways. You might come to Christ and then God starts convicting you about smoking or your attitude at work, that you're lazy. Whereas me, those areas may not affect me at all and he'll deal with other areas. I wanted to add that if you're having problems forgiving someone, don't beat yourself up. You may want to seek the help of someone who you can trust, who can walk you through. I don't know when I would have forgiven my dad or if I would have forgiven my dad if it hadn't been for Pierre and Claude. And I want to say, you know, when we've gone through trauma and we've had horrible experiences in our lives, just saying I forgive you and then moving on without processing the grief, sometimes that's not healthy either because we can forgive very glibly as if it wasn't serious. And sometimes it is serious and we have to process that. So if you need help from a counselor or a pastor or someone you trust, that's a good thing. You go before the Lord, and if you just can't win that battle of forgiveness, then look for help. That's what the body of Christ is meant to do. We're supposed to pray with each other and for each other. And sometimes God withholds the ability to move forward on our own because he wants us to realize our need for the body of Christ. Amen? So here's a song I wrote a few years ago. It's a nostalgic look back at my growing up years. Even though a lot of them weren't happy, there were some really good times in my life. And so this song is called Years of My Youth. Where we'd hide until evening and no one 
Bundled up in our snowsuits like small Eskimos Stomping round in our boots as we'd race to and fro In the springtime we'd marvel at all that was new As the tulips and crocuses made their debut Every summer we played till the sun sank from view and the fireflies came out And the moon rose on cue All the contests we held In our neighbor's backyard Where we played hide and seek Till it finally grew dark Every innocent question We pondered for days As we lay on our Watching clouds so amazed. If I live to be 19, I'll never forget All those memories circling round in my head Every detail I lived, I will never regret In those days, in those years of my youth Thanks for joining me this week on Stories from My Journey podcast. Find out more about me by visiting my website. That's at www.wendyhaha.com. Don't you just love my website name? And if you'd like to comment on anything you've heard today, send me a message through my email address, wendy at wendyhaha.com. If you know somebody who'd appreciate this podcast, please tell them about it. Good news deserves to be shared. God bless and see you next time.